Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank, and I'm very pleased to introduce you to my guest tonight. Bob Branstrom is a social scientist with a graduate degree in economics from UC Davis and a PhD in cognitive psychology from UC Berkeley. His career involved working at state government, banking, and healthcare. Currently, he is on the board of directors of Sierra Streams Institute and speaks on climate change on behalf of Citizens Climate Lobby. He was recently elected to the Grass Valley City Council and takes office December 8th. In his spare time, he is an amateur photographer and videographer. Bob, welcome to the Sages Among Us. Thank you very much, Laurie. It's a treat to be here. Yeah, well, it's really fun for me to get to know more about you. And I want to start right at the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Southern California. I, I kind of divide my uh, growing up into two places, but I, I grew up as a kid in Southern California in Claremont and uh, just loved being there. Uh, you know, good warm weather. Uh, it was a brand new suburban neighborhood with all of these uh, young post-war families uh, raising kids. And it was just a great place to be. And I uh, uh, was active in the church and the scouts and uh, loved being outdoors, whether it was bicycling with friends or camping with my family or the scouts. And then we moved to Carmichael, a uh, suburb of Sacramento. And that's where I went to high school and uh, community college. Uh, they dropped the scouts and the church activities, uh, shifted into more school activities, uh, and then went on to American River College. And I'm going to put a plug in here for community colleges. Um, California has just an, an amazing network of educational opportunities, and, com and community colleges are a big part of that. And it was a wonderful place for me to go to uh, kind of start uh, stretching my wings as a young person. Yeah, I, I mean, it seems like it was just a start because, as I read in your intro, you went on to get a graduate degree in economics from UC Davis and a Ph.D. in cognitive psychology from UC Berkeley. Was that a, a one continuous educational uh, a path for you, or, or were there uh, jobs in between? Uh, there were jobs in between. Uh, I really didn't even want to go to college. I wanted to work, uh, but I w went on to college first to get my uh, uh, undergraduate degree because uh, I didn't want to get drafted to go to Vietnam. So uh, I was out of the draft. Fortunately, the war was ending by the time I got out of college. So I went to work and uh, worked for a while for the state for six years and knew that wasn't a place I wanted to stay. So then I went on. Uh, thought, what do we want to do? And I ended up back in economics um, at UC Davis uh, in a wonderful agricultural economics program. And then uh, decided, okay, I'm ready to try business. I've tried government. I've been in education my whole life. It's time to give the business world a try. Job in so, San Francisco at Wells Fargo. And, and so when uh, were you... Uh, Taking uh, taking time off for your education, or were you, were you working and working on your deg additional degree, degrees? 
Oh, that's a good question because I've always admired people who could do both at the same time. I'm not one of those people. So I went through a period of work and then I went back to school to get my master's at Davis. And then I started working, worked for a decade at Wells Fargo, and then went back to school to uh, get my doctorate degree. And um, I couldn't handle both full, even part-time work and going to school. Uh, so there were alternating periods in my life. So what are some of the lessons you learned from uh, maybe like your first job entry before you, you went back for your master's? Uh, and that would, I guess, been at the state of California. What was what was something that was a lesson or a mentor, perhaps, that you had in your early life, earlier life? Um, I, I would say my experience with the state taught me how important it is to find a good match for who you are. Um, I didn't know how to find a job, and I ended up uh, studying this book. I still remember the author, John Holland. A book was A Theory of Careers. And what I learned from that was I was in exactly the wrong kind of work for my personality type. I needed something that the book was calling investigative. So I thought, okay, I'll go back to school and I'll learn more about science. And uh, so if I learned anything, it was that I didn't fit uh, working in civil service in government, and I needed something that allowed me to think more and be more investigative in my career. So the next progression was, I guess, ultimately ended up as assistant vice president with Wells Fargo Bank. So that seems like it must have been a better fit, or you just had a really great growth pattern there? Um, it was a real growth opportunity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, about a month after, or maybe even two weeks after I got hired, the big boss called me in and said, this isn't working out, scared the daylights out of me because I just had uh, uh, signed a one-year lease. And so I talked to some friends, and they both counseled me the same thing, which was, this isn't what you're used to, Bob. You have to take the initiative. And I'd never worked in that kind of environment. So I went back in and told the boss, I want to try this and see if we can make it work. And we did. I just changed my attitude and my approach to what I was doing. And within six months, I was promoted to supervisor and Shortly after that, I got promotion to a department head, and eventually that came with the uh, assistant vice president title because I had to sign big payroll checks for uh, the bank. And where was this? Was this in the Sacramento area? This was in the headquarters in San Francisco. I was in the uh, personnel division for the entire bank and uh, was part of the big uh, Crocker acquisition uh, that took place when Wells Fargo bought Crocker Bank. So that was a real exciting time. And so you lived in the city at that time? Yes, I lived in the city for a couple of years and then realized that most of my activities were in the East Bay and I could afford a house in the East Bay eventually. So I moved to Oakland and spent uh, 28 years living there. Yeah, and um, so at that point, I, I, I know that you had a lot of hobbies and you said you were in the scouts and a variety of outdoor things. Did you were you able to continue to do some of those in the Bay Area? I was. Um, I've been very active with the Sierra Club in Sacramento, and continued that in the Bay Area, uh, leading bicycle trips and other kinds of activities. But 
being a cyclist was really helpful because I went on bike rides all over the Bay Area, and it was how I got to know the Bay Area as someone who was new there. You are listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Lori Burkhart-Frank, and today I'm talking to Bob Branstrom, incoming Grass Valley Council member, and we're just talking about earlier jobs. And so you were able to continue. Bob, I, I, I guess I, I'm tongue-tied because you, there's so much here to talk about, your <laughs> education and your passion for the outdoors and the work that you're doing and how you interwove that together. At, at some point, you decided to go for your Ph.D. in cognitive psychology from UC Berkeley. So is that while you were at the bank? Yes. Um, I, I've always had a, a deep interest in how people make decisions. That was why I liked economics, because microeconomics is all about a theory about how people make decisions. And so I went back to uh, Berkeley and as a uh, graduate student and studied decision-making. And even though I didn't end up becoming a professor, which was what I had hoped, I look back on that as just a six-year gift to myself of this wonderful period of time where I could ponder these big questions about how do things work in the brain? <laughs> you know, how do people make decisions? And uh, it was just a wonderful period to exercise my imagination and my analytical processes. And the good news is I uh, ended up with a doctorate out of it. And then you went on to a career in health care? Yeah, several people from Berkeley's psychology department ended up in the research department at a company called United Behavioral Health, and that was a subsidiary of United Health Group. So I ended up there for the last decade of my career working in that little research department, and that was a lot of fun because I, I learned a whole new bunch of analytical skills and uh, research uh, skills uh, and got to do some interesting research. So your career seems like it's segmented into the state of California and banking and healthcare. Are there any common themes to the work that you've done and that you were drawn to? Um, you know, all of them, all, all my jobs actually ended in the word analyst, personnel analyst, program analyst, financial analyst, research analyst. So if there's a theme, uh, it certainly would, one of the themes would be, uh, that these were all jobs where I got a chance to think a lot. But as I said, one of my interests is in people and how they operate. And so in my studies, but also at work, I got wonderful opportunities to learn about myself and other people and how they work in organizations. And um, that was a real, a real boon for me. And if there's a single walkaway message from that, and I can't go into details, because of time constraints about where this comes from, the message is simply this, that everybody wants to be seen and heard for who they are, um, that the more we can listen to people and thank them and appreciate them for who they are, um, the better they will be and the better we will be for having uh, done that with them. And so how do these lessons and that, that knowledge carry over into some of your other activities that you're involved in now, uh, like with Sierra Streams, 
and speaking on climate change? I'm not just a social scientist. Along the way, I've taken eight or ten classes in the physical and life sciences as well. So I have a real appreciation for the scientific method. And Sierra Streams is a wonderful science-based organization here in our community. And they're they're underknown uh, and therefore underappreciated. They do a wonderful job of educating the public, both children and adults, about science. But also they practice science through uh, research on local health issues, environmental issues. Um, they're watershed-based organizations, so they look at the uh, local forests, and they're currently developing a program in forest management, which will be very helpful to uh, uh, our community here with fire risk. Um, and, and it's that my love of science that kind of sucked me in to want to support them. They also offer the California Naturalist Program as one of their education programs, and I took that program a couple of years ago. Um, so I'm an official certified California naturalist. <laughs> well, it definitely does seem like one of your predominant themes is, is continuous lifelong learning. Uh, you picked up on that, huh? <laughs> I, yes, I did. And, and so what drew you to Nevada City? Because it sounds like your work with the uh, healthcare industry was down in the Bay Area still. So, how did you end up in in this area, or Nevada County area? I actually came here for the first time around 1975. It may have been the first bluegrass festival that was held up here. Uh, I don't know the exact year, but um, I came up from Sacramento with some friends and just loved the bluegrass festival. So. I knew about Grass Valley, and occasionally I would come up here, and after moving to the Bay Area, um, I got interested in, in Celtic music and Celtic dancing, and so several times I brought friends up from the Bay Area to go to the Celtic Festival, and in the around 2006, I was starting to think about where I might want to live when I retired, because the big city didn't feel right to me, and so I came up and spent uh, three days exploring this area, and um, another factor in all of this is I also had started learning about something called co-housing and thought I'd like to live in a co-housing community rather than a single-family home like I did in Oakland. And there's two co-housing communities here, uh, one in Nevada City, and there was a new one here in Grass Valley, uh, senior co-housing. And I came up, saw the place. They had an available unit still for sale. And I made my decision on the spot, and three months later, I was living here. Um, so both the combination of Grass Valley as a community uh, in the mountains, which I love being here, and the co-housing community is what got me here. So tell us a little bit more, more about co-housing, because even though we do have, we're fortunate to have two co-housing facilities uh, or places to live here in this community, some people may not know what it's, it's all about. What what makes it different than just buying a condo? That's a perfect question because legally we are a condominium. Uh, I have my own unit with my own kitchen, and uh, it's a two-bedroom apartment, basically. We all have our own separate units. But co-housing is different in a couple of ways. Number one, the building is designed to facilitate human interaction. So 
you, I walk out my front door and I walk into a big patio area that the units all face. And so what happens is I walk out and I run into my neighbors and I talk with them. You know, I, there aren't cars in, you know, my direct line of sight when I walk out. It's, it's gardens and patio and friends that I live with here. So that gets to the social side of co-housing, which is we are a community and intentionally so because we don't just contract out to some management company that handles all the work for us. We have teams that do all the work, have a landscape team. I'm on the maintenance team and the finance team. And uh, we do all of this stuff together. And so that's how, another, another way you get to know your neighbors is by working with them on projects. And another piece of co-housing that up until COVID hit uh, was a regular part, and we want, we want to get back to this, is what we call common meals. We have a common house, a, a central area, uh, with a big commercial-sized kitchen and a nice big dining area and meeting area. And before COVID, we were having three or four common meals or potlucks every week. And you could go to as many or as few as you wanted to, but that's a great way to get to know your neighbors. First of all, we would take turns cooking, so you'd get together in a cook team and work with them to prepare a meal, and then you'd sit down with anywhere from a half dozen to two dozen neighbors, depending on how many people come to the meal, and just have a fun time chatting with your neighbors. And so there's this real committed social part of being together that goes way beyond what most condominium associations would do. And it sounds like it's an opportunity to really get involved in the community quickly after moving here. It was. After, by the time I moved in, it took me three months to get rid of stuff and sell my house in Oakland and move in. By the time I moved in here, I felt I knew my neighbors better than I did after 28 years in Oakland. That's pretty amazing. Well, you're listening to this. I'm going to interrupt just a minute, Bob, to let people know that they are listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Lori Burkhart-Frank, and I'm talking to Bob Branstrom, who's the incoming Grass Valley Council member. And we're talking about uh, where Bob lives, which is uh, co-housing and and some of the benefits of that. And you were just saying about how you got to know so many people so quickly uh, compared to living in uh, your home for over 20 years in the Bay Area. Yeah, it was it was great uh, to have this group of neighbors that I can see regularly or if I need to just go knock on somebody's door and ask for the proverbial cup of sugar or <laughs> anything else, you know, a, a USB cable to connect my uh, charger or something. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, e- it's easy to do. Uh, well, you... Yeah. I want to also get into some of the other areas of, of interest in your life. Uh, you're a master gardener. and I was, so was a master gardener in the Bay Area, and I kept that when I moved up here. But by that time, I was kind of uh, looking for a new opportunity to move on to something else. I kind of burned out on gardening after being an urban farmer in Oakland for 10 years. And so I didn't stick with that for more than a year or two. What about the hospital chaplain? Because I noticed that you'd also done that. Yeah, that that here? Like the, really, that was here. And um, David Sweatman was the chaplain at the hospital at the time. And he, he built this 
group of 20 or 30, I don't know what you call them, volunteers, assistant chaplains, who would go and spend four hours every week um, visiting patients and just provide um, patients in the hospital an opportunity to um, talk with someone who wasn't a medical person trying to diagnose them and, and leave the room. And it was a wonderful opportunity to learn about people in our community and to uh, help out people who were in the hospital. And um, I guess I learned two things from it. One is it's really hard work, and it, and it really it didn't fit me emotionally. It's really uh, straining, and I appreciate the people who can do that. Um, so I, I did that for a year and decided, uh, you know, I'm going to try something else. But uh, the other thing I learned is it's a community hospital, and I concluded that everybody who lives here is going to end up in that hospital sooner or later. And because I met such a variety of people uh, there from homeless people to um, well-known people here in the community who were patients. Yeah, and it really does benefit us to support our hospital in all ways we can. It's a very important part of our community. Well, you also have recently become a Grass Valley Council member, and you're sworn in next week. So what inspired you to run for office? I've always had a desire to serve the communities I'm in. That usually meant being like an outdoor activities leader or working in a social organization like the hospital or uh, Big Brothers where I you know, could work one-on-one -on -one with people. But my interest in... Uh, the larger political sphere started, you know, when I started getting involved here with NID and water issues and spent a couple of years going to their board meetings, kind of learning the ins and outs of how that public agency works and, and what their issues and uh, challenges were. And as I continued to think about this, I thought, you know, I would like to serve in some capacity myself as an elected official. I think I could do that. And um, started thinking how I could do that. And after thinking about a bunch of options, I thought, you know, the only place that really my heart is, is in Grass Valley. I really think the Grass Valley City Council would be a good place for me. And so I started going to Grass Valley City Council meetings to kind of check out the idea, learn more about it and started meeting the council members and learning about the issues and processes involved in local government and decided I can do this. All of those skills that I learned along the way um, turn out to be very helpful, whether they're financial skills, just good analytical skills or people skills, um, they can be very useful as a city council person. So I decided to run in uh, 2018 and uh, gave my first shot at running for city council and lost, so I should say. <laughs> and lost in 2018. And then what made you decide to go ahead and do it again? Well, I still wanted to serve. And in the meantime, several people that I had met around town um, said to me, Bob, we hope you run again. And that kind of really, it made me, feel connected to this community in a way I, I hadn't before. 
And the way I like to phrase it is, I moved here and I embraced this community, Nevada County and Grass Valley. And I started feeling like the community was embracing me back. And it was just a wonderful feeling. So um, it was pretty clear I was going to run again when I got that kind of uh, uh, response from people in the community. Well, what does it take to run a campaign? I know that, oh um, <laughs> that, that you learned a lot from that first time. And, and so what kind of uh, commitment or work does it take to uh, step forward? And I mean, that's a big step just to, to make that declaration. Um, I think, first of all, you have to know yourself, know why you're running and what you can offer the community. And I think you have to be willing to get out there and meet people. Um, this is a small community, and it's about building relationships. And sometimes those are one-on-one relationships. And in a non-COVID year, you can go door-to-door knocking uh, on people's doors and meeting them. I did that in 2018 and absolutely loved it. Um, you can also go to meetings and groups where things are being done, whether it's city council or um, the Chamber of Commerce, the Downtown Association, or the Economic Resource Council. This community has a huge group of people who care about this community and dedicate huge amounts of time to making things work well here. And while things don't work perfectly, um, we're really fortunate to live in a community with such talent and such commitment. Well, clearly, Bob, you want to give back, but what benefits do you get from your civic involvement? You know, it just feels good to be able to contribute something, make a difference in people's lives. And as I was saying, the people here are amazing. I love meeting the people here. Um, We have so many people with talents in so many areas, whether it's business or the arts um, and government. Uh, The nonprofit sector is huge here. Um, It's just fun to be part part of that. Well, in this last minute, if you had a power, the power to wave a magic wand to improve our community or create something new or solve a problem, what would that be? You know, the biggest problem I see is this big polarization we have in our country and in our county. Um, people just demonize each other way too much, and people need to listen more to each other and get to know each other because there's common ground that you can find with almost everybody and build a good relationship. So if I had a magic wand, it would be just to change people's attitude about reaching out to other people and make them more open to that uh, so that they would connect. Um, It's been a delight for me to meet people across the political spectrum here. And uh, one of my lessons from co-housing is the more ideas you get, the more diversity of opinion, the better your solutions you come up with. And I think that's going to be true uh, in my work on the city council as well. So it sounds like some of the benefits of living in co-housing will also uh, continue to move forward into all the things that you do. That opportunity to see people and communicate and work together. Like you said, I like to learn, and I'm always learning, whether it's in co-housing or out in the community. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. 
Well, my guest tonight has been Bob Brandstrom, incoming Grass Valley member, Grass Valley Council member, and we want to thank you for joining us, Bob. The purpose oh, it's of been this. My I'm thank glad you, you were here, Bob. <laughs> 